And sometimes no need for others. So we keep looking down. Think about it. As we've looked down, away from God and away from one another, ironically, we've become more lonely. More lonely. Cigna, the health insurance company, they launched a national research project to look into this question of loneliness. They did an online survey, 20,000 adults across the nation asking sort of their self-perception of their connection and loneliness. And if you score between 20 and 80, there's some indication of loneliness. The higher the score, the more lonely one is. 43 is the break point for significant loneliness in one's life. The national average for the United States, 44. Now, the result is we're a country that's lonely. More lonely, typically, than we really want to admit. And even in this room, in this crowd. We have all sorts of people, we have all sorts of connections, but the reality is that we can still have a sense of being lonely. And as we've launched into this letter that Peter wrote to the exiles, call it First Peter, he has a vision for the church. He has a vision for these believers. And that vision is that they'd be more of a family than just attenders at a meeting. Now, this is a meeting. Let's just face it. This is a program. We have a worship band. We have a message. We have announcements. We come together. We sit in chairs. I'm talking to you. You're sitting listening. This is a meeting. Peter's vision for the church is so much grander than just this part of it, as important as this is together. Uh, Todd's given me a book. He's given it to other people on our staff. I love it when Todd gives me books. It's fantastic. I love books. I love to receive books. I love to read books that I didn't have to pay for. <laughs> and there's a book by Larry Crabb called Real Church, where Larry is just dissatisfied with the normal sort of church where we come in, shuffle out, and we don't connect with one another. He says this, that our love and our church ought to mature to the point where we gather and we relate to one another for the pleasure of the Father and the well-being of many. That's our vision, the pleasure of the Father and the well-being of many. Peter's vision is that there'll be less loneliness in this world because of this community and our willingness to connect. So let me review real quickly. Last week we talked about holiness. We learned that holiness, number one, is a gift. It's a gift given by a gracious, loving Father. Our new identity in Christ is that we are currently now in a position of holiness. But secondly, holiness grows out of a relationship. And Brennan led us in that song as we lean in. We lean into the Father's love like father, like son. We lean into him and his character, little by little, begins to shape us to be like his. And then third, holiness always moves us toward health. The big story of God is that he would bring health and wholeness and holiness because that's what it is. Holiness is health. It's the thriving of people, the well-being of many. That's, that's the story that we get to be part of, is moving toward health and bringing others along. I'd like to add a fourth this morning. 
Holiness leads to love. Holiness always leads to love. If you have your Bibles, look at 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 22 primarily, but work our way through chapter 2, verse 3. Notice what Peter says in verse 22, the first word. He says, now. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other. Stop right there. Sincere love for each other. Healthy holiness leads to healthy love. He says, now that you've purified yourselves, that doesn't mean that you did the work. It means you received the gift of salvation. You received the gift of purification because of the gift that the Father gives you through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. It's something that's offered to us. So now that you've been purified, now that you're holy, what's the next step? So that you have a sincere love for each other. The vertical relationship with God always moves out into a horizontal relationship with the person next to us, the person in front of us, the person beyond, the person who's the other. Love always flows out. Let me say it this way. If it's not loving, it's not holy. Now just think about that for a minute. If it's not loving, it's not holy. We can't create a dichotomy between, well, this is holiness over here and this is love over here. Verse 22, so you've been obeying the truth so that you have sincere love. Obedience to the truth always leads to a sincere love. Paul says it like this in Galatians 5, 6. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Faith always leads to love, always leads to love. Faith in Jesus always leads into love. So I got two kind of main points today. One is start here, and number two is get here. Now let's just see the flow of what Peter does in this particular text. Start here. It's honest Family love. Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other. What is this sincere love? It's a love that is love like a family. Different words for love. The one he uses here is phileo. We get the, 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 the name of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. This is a brotherly love. This is a, a brotherly sister love. This is a family love. This is the amazing thing that as we're made holy by the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we're invited into a brand new spiritual family. We have lots of new brothers and sisters because we're in Christ. It's a spiritual family, and it even transcends our natural-born family. Phileo, brotherly family love. And because God wants health for the whole human race, 
His vision for this new spiritual family is that it's always expanding, always growing, always reaching out, always welcoming in. In fact, Paul frames it this way, where he talks about in this family now, in Christ, there's no longer those former divisions that used to push you apart. There's no more Jew or Gentile. We're one in Christ. There's no more male or female. We're one in Christ. There's no more slave or free person. We're one in Christ. Those divisions that used to, to push you apart, those, those divisions that used to cause you to be monochromatic, those are all wiped away with this new family love, this brotherly love, this sisterly love. We're continually surprised by who our brother is and who our sister is because they're welcome into this family. He calls it a sincere love. Interesting word, sincere. It means honest. So now you have an honest love for one another. Literally, it means an unhypocritical love. Sincere comes from the Latin, sin, Sarah. Sin without, Sarah, wax. Without wax. You now have this without wax love for one another. It's referring to that tradition of the man who sold clay pots. And some of the pots had cracks in them, right? And so he would take wax and he would cover up the cracks and then sell them as if they had no cracks. And what we could tell is to hold them up to the light and you could see through the wax. You could see the cracks. Peter says, love one another with no hypocrisy, no dishonesty, no hiding the cracks, no agenda, ulterior motives in what I'm going to get out of this. Just have a transparent, honest love for one another. Because let's face it, we're not only lonely at times, but we're broken. We have a lot of cracks and we do a very good job with our self-curating to present something online or in other places. Even this morning, we dress it up to say, hey, I, I got it, I'm okay. We kind of hide it behind some wax. And I was thinking about this, I got up this morning Got out of bed, made some coffee. I'm sitting in the back patio. I got bedhead. I look terrible. You know, I just like pajamas, sitting out there drinking coffee, thinking about coming and standing here. And my wife comes out. Now, she doesn't look at me and say, oh, you are hideous. Take a shower, clean yourself up, do something with your head. No, no. I mean... This Saturday, Cynthia and I are going to celebrate 34 years of marriage. Yeah, isn't that good? And I, I asked her on the beach, I said, you still love me, right? And she paused. She, she knows all the cracks. So I can get up. I'm just, this is just who I am. That's what Peter's saying. Love one another with this sense of transparency that, you know what, in this family, we got a lot of cracks. And the older we get, the more cracks we have. Yeah? And we need people around us that say, hey, you don't, you don't, have, to, you don't have to put any wax on that crack. Because we all know, we all know it's there, right? 
That's what Peter is inviting us into. It's, it's kind of expanded in verse 1 of chapter 2 where he goes on. He says, in a negative sense, therefore, he says, because of this sincere love, rid yourselves or take off all these old clothes. Rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Paul says it positively in Colossians 3, verse 12. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell in you. Oh, let me go up to verse 12. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. And forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Our culture has entered into a phase of toxic public discourse where we are having a very difficult time talking about the most important, difficult concerns confronting us without demonizing one another we don't we, we don't know how to talk we don't know how to have conversations about things that we disagree with and in fact it's sort of infectious and it's kind of rippling through our country you certainly see it online where people feel the freedom to say things online that maybe they wouldn't say face to face but now it's beginning to enter into just sort of our conversations and Peter's vision is that in the church we would know how to talk with one another even when we disagree with one another. In fact, there's a fellow named James Hogan. He's written a book talking about this toxic public discourse that's happening in America. The title of the book says it all. He says, the title, I am right and you're an idiot. <laughs> yeah? And that sometimes we don't talk about the issues, we just begin to assassinate one another's characters. Peter says we can do it much different than that. Luce Mead said this He said, Love may be simple, but life is complicated. Life is very complicated, and we're complex people with lots of. Lots of different parts to us that we don't always understand. And so loving another person, though it sounds simple, it can be, it can be difficult. It can be complex. And what we tend to do with people we don't know or understand who are different than us, we tend to what Nicholas Kristof calls otherize them. We otherize them. We keep them like an alien, like we keep them distant. We keep them far away. And he says that when we otherize another person that we don't understand, it's just a simple step to dehumanize another person as well. And Peter is calling us as followers of Jesus to learn how to listen and love. And one of the most important things we could do is sit with another person that we don't get and hear their story. Because don't we just fill our minds with all sorts of assumptions about people? But when we sit at a table over a meal and we ask them, please tell me your story. 
Where did you come from? How did you get here? Where were you born? What was it like for you to be a child? And we hear each other's stories and we discover that we can easily have a bond. Jesus got after this in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you've heard it said to, to uh, love your, your friends and hate your enemies. He says, no, 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 I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flip it around. You, you need to learn how to love your enemies. And he said, what good is it? In other words, what, what, what does your holiness mean if you're only hospitable to your own people? He pushes us out beyond that. So Peter doesn't stop with the start here, but he says, I want you to get here. I want to keep going in verse 22 because he now talks about what I'll call stretchy, unconditional love. Verse 22 again, 1 Peter. Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere, honest, transparent love for each other, this is what I want you to do, Peter says. This is what I want you to do. Here's the next step, and this is going to be a stretch. He says, I want you to love one another deeply. And then he adds, from the heart. Love one another deeply from the heart. He uses another word for love here. The first word was phileo, brotherly, family love. This word is a second word. It's, it's the word agape. It's what we call unconditional love. It's the love that God demonstrated for us in providing salvation. Agape love. You can think of different kinds of love. There's the, there's the I love you because, and then we attach some condition in it. I love you because you're beautiful. There's another love. I, I love you, and then we, we, um, we add a condition to that. I love you if. I'll love you if you do this for me. But this agape love, this agape love is I love you, period. I love you, and I'll put a period at the end of the sentence. I will love you, I'll keep loving you, I'm going to love you, not because you have some quality that I love, not become, because you live up to some condition. I'm just going to keep on loving you. And I'm calling this a stretchy love. What do I mean by a stretchy love? It's this word deeply. It's a, it's a really intriguing word. It's an uncommon word, but it's, it's the word ektenos. And tenos means to stretch. And ek means out. It means to be outstretched in your love. And this is how we could translate it or understand it. Think about this in terms of a deep kind of love. It's loving intently. It's loving intensely. Some translations use fervently. Loving fervently. It means loving fully stretched. I mean, all out, fully stretched. It's, it's extended out. It's love that just extends beyond to its full potential. There's no slack in this love. It's a strenuous love. It's untiring elasticity. We just keep on stretching. We keep on going without any let up. 
This morning it was beautiful on the beach. And right to my left was a lifeguard competition. Talk about some amazingly beautiful distractions. These athletes, they got the, the dories and the, and the paddle boards and the swimming. And of course, they had a starter's gun. So, yeah, it was awesome. That was great. Every time the starter's gun would go off, it's impossible for a crowd not to watch the start of a race. It was good. It was, yeah, it was sweet. Um, but I think of those athletes. And, and they're going out to these buoys out in the ocean, you know, and, and in the, in the uh, you call those dories, right? Dories? And when they're paddling, I mean, they're, they're just, for all they're worth, the swimmers, man, they're just stretching out, just pulling through the water. Paddle boards just like going all out. It's like a runner. This word, love one another deeply, is the runner that is just kicking it at the end, still going, or next week in the Tour de France, you know, as they get into the mountain stages, there's, there's the climbers, and, you know, they hit those, those, those grades, and they're just, they're just spinning the pedals. They're giving it 110%. And this word, though used seldom, it's often associated with prayer, stretching out in prayer, it's used when it said Jesus was praying deeply when he was in the garden the night before he was crucified. And it said that in his prayers, he was praying so deeply that his sweat were like drops of blood. Just outstretched in prayer. And it was used of Peter too when Peter was in, was in jail and the church was gathered because Peter was going to be executed the next morning. In Acts 12, and the church is praying deeply for Peter. And it's a funny story because an angel lets Peter out of the jail, and Peter goes down the street and goes to the house and knocks on the gate. Hey, I'm here, I'm out. Your prayers have been answered. And the servant girl comes out and sees Peter at the gate, and she's so astounded, she goes, I can't believe it. You're here. And she runs away back into the house without opening the gate. And Peter's standing there. She goes in and she tells the people in the house who are just stretched out in prayer, oh, God, please release Peter. She says, he's out there. He's at, he's at the gate. It worked. And they go, no, you're just a servant girl. That's got to be his ghost or some angel or something like that. Sometimes we can be so outstretched that we, that we miss the answer that God is bringing and I don't know if you know this, some of you are part of this crew, but there are some deeply, deeply fervent prayer warriors in this church. And they pray for you. They pray for our staff. And they are outstretched in prayer. Deep prayer for us. It's a picture of Jesus stretched out on the cross. And I told my story here before, but when I was 27, working with a public mountaineering class, I had a terrible accident. I fell off a tall cliff. I ended up stuck in a river, hypothermia, spent 18 hours overnight waiting for rescue to come in the middle of the night. My good friend, the teacher of the course, John Woodall, he came with some students to rescue me. There I am in this water, wedged between boulders, broken bones everywhere in my face. John and these students get me out. John did this beautiful thing. He knew he had to arrest the hypothermia. So he slid his body underneath mine, put two students on either side of me, 
to get that body warmed. And then he had my head right here on his chest. And we stayed like that for 12 hours. He was stretched out for me. It's what this word means. Love one another deeply. Self-sacrificially. Beyond what you think you're able to do. Elastic, just stretching out for the goal. Peter adds here, do it from the heart. Ekkardia, out of the heart. There are some times when our brain, it just, this doesn't make sense to me to do this for you. This doesn't make sense for me to go this far with this kind of agape, unconditional love. I'd rather run the other way. I'd rather self-preserve. But God is just pushing me to love beyond what I think I can do. That's Peter's vision for a church that changes the climate in its community. So what's our way forward? Peter says it's an imperishable, enduring life. Because let's face it, you and I can't love like this on our own. We don't have it in ourselves. But there's something that's been put in us. We're cracked pots. We fail one another. We hurt and bruise one another. But in Christ, there's a new way. There's a way forward. You see where Peter goes after verse 22? Verse 23, he says, For you've been born again, not of perishable seed. That means not of human seed. This is not a human thing that's going on here. He says, but instead of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Not just the Bible, but the words that God has spoken about life and about you. And he says, this is the word that was preached to you. Verse 3 of chapter 1, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth. Have you experienced that new birth? It's a divine rebirth that God creates in us. And then Peter quotes from Isaiah. For all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. That's our brokenness. That's our, in our own humanity, we can't move forward. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And God has declared over your life and over this church, there's a different way. There's a new life. We can be reborn. We can love stretched out with an uncommon, inhuman kind of love that becomes beautifully human. We now have the DNA, we have the seed, we have, we have the very blood of Jesus flowing through our veins. And in complete humility, this is not, I can't do this. I will fail you. But as I trust in the spirit of God moving through me, I can. Holiness always moves toward health. And holiness always moves toward love. I want to ask 
the band to come up. Brenda, why don't you come on up? Come on up, you guys. And um, I just want to have you think about love in sort of a new way. In a moment, we're going we're gonna to come to the communion table. This beautiful symbol of the broken body, the shed blood of Jesus. And Peter is telling us, hey, River folks, I want you to go deeper. I want you to go deeper. I want you to grow deeper. In verse 3 of chapter 2, Peter says, hey, hey, it's, it's time to grow up. It's time to mature. If you've tasted the goodness of God, it's time to take this to the next step. The theologian N.T. Wright, he says this, learning to agape is like learning a difficult but powerful language. Some of you high school students who have had Senor Te, you know he's a wonderful teacher teaching you a difficult but beautiful language. N.T. Wright goes on to say, learning to agape it's like learning a beautiful but a complex instrument. And out of that comes this, this music. Where does that music come from? The Holy Spirit singing through us and playing through us. It's a music that captivates and it picks us up and it carries us along. So I just want to end four questions before we come to the table. As you think about Peter's vision for the church, where is God pushing you to stretch? To stretch out beyond what you feel like is your capacity to love. It could be in your family. could be your child. could be your spouse. could be at work. He wants you to stretch out in healing love to another person. Touch them with that grace of Jesus. Let me ask you a second question. Who are you treating and avoiding like an outsider? Have you otherized someone? They're alien to you. They're, they're different. They're, they're of a different kind. Jesus said, what, what good is faith if all we do is greet our own people? Is there another person that you maybe have avoided or you just don't know, you just don't see them? Maybe they're even in this community that you could just sit down across a table with a meal or a cup of coffee and say, I want to know your story. In light of how lonely people are, Thirdly, what initiative could you take to connect with another person? Sometimes it takes a lot of courage to just say, hey, can we get together? The health of a church is seen in the almost invisible connections between people, our interrelatedness, so that there's nobody in the River Church who is unconnected. And finally, fourth, what intention could you make to include another person? Just to include another person. Just to say, you know, you're welcome in. 
A place like this, the river, whether it's the beach or here at the north, it can be a very intimidating place where we assume as a newcomer, everybody knows each other. And we don't. We don't. What initiative and intention can we take? Because Larry Crabb said, in real church, may it be said of the River Church that our love, our love is for the pleasure of the Father and the well-being of the many. May that increase today. You guys lead us in worship. And when you are ready, come to the table.